you're listening to Storm and Sky, and I'm your hostess with the mostest, Desiree. Thanks for being here. I want to start by saying that there may be some triggers in this episode, uh, which include topics of or about infertility and childhood abuse. And so now you have the opportunity to decide if you want to continue listening or if you'd rather uh, move on to another episode. When I was a little girl, I experienced sexual abuse and when I started to have nightmares and I told an adult that I was having these nightmares, they told me that I was too young to remember which meant it didn't happen. My relationship with this person has never been the same and it has led to my values around emotions, emotional intelligence and it informs how I myself have engaged in my own healing process and in the way I support my children and other children in my life around the emotions that they are experiencing. I transferred my final embryo two years ago and I mistakenly forgot to ask the adults in our circle not to mention it to our kids. I just wasn't prepared to have that conversation with them if we ended up with an unfavorable um, outcome. And it turns out an adult in our circle told our kiddos that there is a baby in Mama Des's belly. And I was really angry, angry and resentful because one, it wasn't their news to share. You know, why didn't they think to ask me and my partner if they could do that and two again I wasn't ready what if this doesn't turn out the way that we hope it does what the hell am I going to say to my kids and this is coming from an educator right um so as you know we ended up with an unfavorable unfavorable um outcome and we ended up telling the kids and I told them the baby in mama's belly stopped growing so I'm not pregnant anymore. And part of my anger came from having to now deal with, hold, cope with, support my children's emotions on top of my emotions. And it just felt so freaking unfair because at some point it became too much and it got really dark. And then after some time, it ended up being a blessing in disguise. 
it basically forced the grief into the light. It forced the grief to live in our house and to be present in our lives in the way that it just had space. It had space to be. My daughter would ask me questions or she would make statements, though unexpectedly, um, but they forced me to grieve. They forced me to reflect. They, and when I say they, I'm talking about the the questions and the wonderings and, and the statements, but they invited me to cry, which is what I needed. You know, we talked about infertility and the culture of silence. And I was living the exact opposite of it because I had, or I had these two children in my life that were so curious and so seemingly concerned about me. And it forced me to look in the mirror, straight into the eyes of my grief. And I'm so thankful because it allowed me to get to new heights in my grieving. And there was something really beautiful about grieving alongside them. Now, granted, they only saw, I only allowed them to see maybe 5% of what I was actually feeling. For example, my daughter would sometimes come to me and she'd say, Mama, I'm so sorry you didn't have a baby. And I remember sitting next to her in bed and I said, I'm really sorry too. And I cried a little bit in front of her. And so that's sort of the percentage of the emotion that she would see. Sometimes L, we would have named her L, Emmanuel, L would have been her nickname. Sometimes she comes up in conversations. My daughter still refers to her as her sister, which is so incredible. And my daughter sometimes will draw pictures or write me notes that some I still actually have. And what it tells me is that L is not forgotten. And if only my daughter knew what that does for me and my heart and my soul and my healing, someday she will know. And this leads me to think about me as a parent, me as an adult. If you are my friend, I will try to be the best listener there is. You want to cry? Cry. You want to hug? I'm a really good hugger. Same goes for my kids. I am a big believer in cultivating emotional intelligence. I think a lot of it, or I know a lot of it comes from not being supported as a child when I went to an adult and asked them essentially for help. Help me figure out why I'm having these nightmares and, and be there for me. And so that drives me. That part 
that pattern, I am not, I refuse to continue um, into the next generation. And so I have these values for a sense of agency, shared responsibility, compassion and empathy. And again, I know that it goes back to my trauma of being turned away when I needed help. And my hope is that when I live these values and model these values for my children and other children in my life, that I hope it leads to and that it cultivates just this sense of visibility, that it creates value for each person and the things that they contribute to our family, to the world, to the ecosystem, to their friendship circles. And I hope that it creates this sort of honoring, this ability to lift up each other's voices. Again, it goes back to my childhood. And so some of the ways in which I live those values are, um, I create space for the emotions. When my kiddos are sad or they're pissed off, I tell them, dude, you look really pissed off or you seem really mad and I get it. Or yes, you're sad right now. Cry it out. I'm going to be right here when you need me. I try not to deflect and I try not to distract because in my own life, deflecting and distracting led to some really terrible destructive behaviors. And I want my kids to know that we, the adults in their lives, are going to be here when they're happy, when they're sad, when they're frustrated, when they're angry. And in creating space for emotions, it creates this sense of ownership. Like, I own my emotions. Something powerful about that. And it allows our children to see just how nimble and flexible and fluent they can be with their emotions and with other people's emotions. I wrote down this phrase, emotional elasticity. I don't know if it's an actual thing or a buzzword, but you know, knowing that there are gradients to our emotions and that emotions are fleeting. I could be really pissed off five minutes from now, but 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour after that, I'm actually not pissed off anymore. The other thing I try to avoid is um, I avoid patronizing children, period. They are intuitive and capable. And it's unfortunate that some people just don't give them that credit. Sweet and simple. When I think about conflict resolution in our home and with other kids in my life, I typically like to get down to their level and I place myself strategically in between them. And I will say to each of them, what happened? And now there's a difference between saying what's wrong and what happened. I avoid saying what's wrong because it, it places a value on what's happened. And that is not, that's not my job. I don't get to do that. The kiddos have the opportunity to tell me what's happening. And so I, I invite each person, each, each party, to share their perspective 
around what happened. And then I will say, it sounds like we've got one scooter and both of you want to ride at the same time. What should we do about that? And so I then turn it back to them so that we can think about solutions or we can talk a little bit more about, you know, when you smacked him in the head like that, it really hurt him. And it, remember, in our family, we value talking about what's happening. We don't believe in hurting each other in that way. And so that is typically what conflict resolution looks like. But I'm going to keep it real because there are some days when I don't have the energy or the patience. And when I have those days or nights in which I am not my best self, I typically try to reflect. And there have been times in which I have apologized for not being my best self. And there's just something about that humility um, that I think goes a long way. Um, and I know that's some, it's, it's hard to do, but it's something that I have done. The other thing I try to avoid is saying you're okay. You know, if my kid, my son, um, ate it on his scooter this past weekend and I basically said to him, Hey, I'm right here. Let's go up. Let's go clean your, um, your cuts and your bruises and then, um, and we'll take it from there. And so I cringe sometimes, a lot of the times, to be honest, um, when I hear people say you're okay, because it is less about them being okay. And it is seemingly more about the adult, like secretly, potentially freaking out on the inside and telling themselves that everything's going to be okay. We don't get to decide if they're okay. They get to decide. Imagine what it would be like if you had fallen off of a stair, for example, and you were in pain. How would it feel if someone came to you and said you're okay? When realistically, you actually weren't. Um, I, I don't want to forget what it's like to talk about death with children. Um, because this one's, this one's a tough one. The only reason why I'm so comfortable talking about death with children is because I've had some firsthand experiences with it. When I was an educator um, in a school, our, our school pet died before winter break. And so we had to, I can't talk right now. We had to collaborate with other people in our community, in our, in our teaching community to really think about how we were going to equip our parents of these children that we were with each day, how we were going to equip them with having this conversation with their children, should they choose to. It was really important to us that we honor the fact that families, individuals have different ways of thinking about death and talking about death and so our approach really was here are some tools should you choose to decide to have this conversation with your child or your children and so I'm very matter matter of fact about death I will say things like their body stopped working uh, when I was growing up 
the adults in my life would tell me that the person was sleeping and that's just freaky because I then don't want to go to sleep because then that means I'm going to die. It's just not true. And so when my kiddos have asked me, you know, when are you going to die? Are you going to die soon? Um, I typically will say, because of their ages, um, seven and nine, I will say something to the effect of, you know, I hope to live a long time. I expect to live a long time. And here is actually what I do with the hopes of living and being around for you and with you for a long time. So, you know, in the end, I, I've experienced a lot of traumatic things in my life. I, I reflect with my therapist about the amount of trauma and adversity I've experienced. And you are now listening to a girl, to a woman who has been able to create a life that is fulfilling and joyful. And a lot of it has to do with being surrounded with people who love and care. And I think the theme of the last four years for me was really finding my voice and using it. And so I just want to thank you for listening today and for supporting this effort of mine Um, and I can't wait to just continue the journey with you all and I think in this season we'll start to talk a little bit more about trauma childhood trauma in particular um, and we'll see where that takes us I'll talk to you soon